today we are in week 11 of our teaching series through 1 Corinthians. We're kind of getting back into the swing of things. And, and today is one of those messages that I would define as a hard message. You see, in the line of preaching, there's kind of two camps. There's what I would say difficult messages and hard messages. The difficult messages are the ones that I think are sometimes difficult to hear. They kind of maybe go against the grain, rub against what culture, society tells you, but they are firmly rooted and planted in the word of God. And so there's something to stand on. Then there are what I would call hard messages, messages that have a lot of emotion, that my pastoral heart grieves deeply, that sometimes I can't say all that I feel like I want to say. There's sometimes there's not clarity in today's message. As, as we kind of wrap up this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, it's been talking a lot about uh, our, our views on sexuality, our views on marriage, singleness, and today it talks about uh, the, the topic of divorce. And that's why today is going to be a hard message. Uh, now, not to start off on like a, like a uh, to make too much light of it, but I did some research to find what are some of the most popular divorces throughout uh, American history or world history. And I came up across three. And so you can remember these, these uh, uh, chunks of time, nine days, 55 hours, and three minutes. Uh, the first one is uh, Carmen Electra and Dennis Rodman, perhaps you remember this, were married for a grand total of nine days. Uh, now, uh, at the point of dissolving or nulling their marriage, Dennis Rodman, of all people, said, I was not of sound mind when I made that agreement. And I'll let you fill in what you want to with that. Uh, 55 hours, that was uh, uh, Britney Spears and Jason Alexander. And on the, uh, the divorce filing, uh, she said that she lacked understanding of what marriage actually meant and took. I don't know. But the most famous one of all time is a wedding or a marriage that lasted three minutes. You wouldn't recognize the name of the couple because they're basically famous for having the shortest marriage on record. It was a couple from Kuwait, and this is what went down. It said, uh, the problem began when the newlywed bride slipped, tripped, and fell on the floor on their way out of the courthouse. Instead of helping his bride get to her feet and being chivalrous, the, her newlywed husband laughed at her fall, mocked her, and called her stupid. This incident infuriated the newlywed bride quite a bit. And in a fit of rage, she rushed herself back into the courthouse and demanded a divorce from the judge. The judge agreed to her demands, granted their divorce, and it is now known as the shortest marriage of all time, annulled after three minutes. Here's the thing. We talk about divorce today. What I know is this, is that divorce is hard. And it's also very common, is it not? In the year 2021, there were over uh, nearly 700,000 divorces filed. 689,000 divorces were filed in the year 2021. If you're a math person, you would find out that that results in one divorce filing every 45 seconds. They say in uh, today's American society, the average marriage uh, length is only about eight years. 45% of first marriages, 60% of second marriages, 73% of third marriages end up in divorce. And so if one of the ways in which we think of divorce is to say, well, I didn't get it right the first time, I'll get it right the second time, statistically, you're actually not helping out your own case. And on top of that is not only is divorce common, it's also very painful. The rippling effects are, are everywhere. 
You know, after my biological father passed away, my mom remarried about 10 years later and ended up getting divorced about six, seven years after that. It was a biblical divorce. It was much needed and it had to happen. But even as somebody who wasn't even living at the house at that time, I had to see the rippling effects of that divorce. See, when divorce occurs, there's lots that goes into it. Assets have to be liquidated. Homes that have memories, decades of memories sometimes are sold. Kids have to learn to split their time between two homes, two separate holidays, not to mention the emotional and the mental pain and hurt that comes along with it. Divorce is common. Divorce is very real. And the question is oftentimes then, so, so what, do we, what do we do with it? And this is where, where I start to kind of lean in and kind of get a little, maybe not hesitant, but kind of trying to say, okay, the scope of our people, there's a lot of questions you might have brought in, a lot of maybe even presuppositions that you brought in with you this morning. You might have a divorce in your past and you might have been told, well, that was actually wrong or against God's will. And the question you might have, well, well is it? You might be in a season in which you are actually pursuing a divorce and you might be wrestling with, well, well, is it permissible under God's eyes or God's law? Am I allowed to remarry after I've been divorced? Do I have to remain single? If my past divorce was labeled unbiblical, well, now what do I do with my life? So I just want to set the table uh, before we dive into our text this morning. And the first thing I just want to say, and I don't know how to say it, so I'll just kind of say, say it point blank, is that if you're looking for some sort of rubber stamp today, some sort of approval of the past or approval of the future, just know you, you might not get that. At the same time, I hope that you receive everything that, that I say this morning out of grace and love, a foundation of the call to be a disciple. I also want you to know that there's no secret hidden trick, no magical formula to save your marriage. Oftentimes when, it, when, I, when I get into counseling with couples who are trying to navigate things and they say, well, what can we do to save our marriage? And there's always a list of things. There's always counseling. There's always books. There's always things to be more intentional about. But one of the things I often say is you have to go back in time 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But since we can't do that, we have to figure out a way forward. And here's the other thing that I also know, and this could be part of your story, is that Churches, unfortunately, have done a really, really bad job at times addressing divorce and talking to people who have that in their story. You might be somebody who you were maybe kicked out of a group. Maybe you were unfriended. Maybe you were belittled because divorce is part of your story. Maybe you actually were a part of a church and they asked you to leave because of their views on it. So I understand it's a very sensitive topic. It's a very heavy topic and the question for us today is, is, what do we do for it? And so my hope is to provide some clarity, grace, understanding of what is it, when is it permissible, and what do we do about it? So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 7 uh, for like the ninth straight week, it seems like. Uh, chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 10 this morning, but a little bit of kind of recap of where we've been. First Corinthians, uh, this guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, get this, he starts a church and he leaves about 18 months later, a bunch of new Christians, new town. It's kind of like ancient Amsterdam, people just kind of living however they want. And he introduces them to Jesus, he introduces them to the gospel, and then he's starting to hear about all these issues that they're having. So he writes a letter to address some of their thinking. 
And what we've been calling is to say, Paul is trying to make a Christ-centered worldview to say how you think about your beliefs, your actions, and your context around you should be through the lens of Christ. And so that applies to us today, is that if you claim to be a disciple, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, one of your key responsibilities is to know about God's heart for you, God's heart for your life, God's heart for the people around you, and let the gospel, the grace, the power of Jesus kind of shape and mold how you view certain things. And so Paul's writing to a lot of new Christians, a lot of baby Christians here. And he's just spent some time kind of supporting and drawing on God's design for things like marriage, sexuality, singleness, uh, the, 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 the sexual intimacy in and of itself. If you were to go to Genesis chapter 2, Matthew chapter 18, it gives us the clearest depiction of God's heart for marriage and sex, that it's one man, one woman, becoming one flesh for the sake of one's life. And then Paul kind of writes to say, but I understand that life is messy. I understand that, that life kind of happens and gets in the way. And so this is how we view these certain things. And so today we are kind of wrapping up this section. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're starting in verse 10. You can follow along with me. If you're a note taker, you can always grab notes on the way in. There's some study material that we highly recommend you take with you throughout the rest of the week to apply God's word to your life because we don't want to just be people who hear God's word. We want to be doers of it as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting in verse 10, Paul says this. He says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. That's pretty strong there, right? And he continues on then in verse 12. He says, but to the rest, I say this. I, again, not the Lord. If a brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband or not? And how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So keep in mind the context here. So, so the Apostle Paul, he's writing. New Christians kind of understanding. And he's, he's writing to these people who became Christians probably after they've already been married. And the Corinthian culture was one in which marriage meant nothing. Divorce was just something you could do whenever you felt like it. And so he's writing. He said, remember church. Remember person who, who wears the C on your chest. You think, you act, you view everything differently than the world around you. Just because everybody else is doing it, it doesn't give you the freedom to do so. And so then he writes to say, so step one, you shouldn't even be thinking about it. There just shouldn't even be an option for you. And then it's just kind of, that's that's stronger. Is Paul really saying we can't ever get divorced if we claim to be Christian? What Paul's doing, he's, he's, he's writing against the context that said get divorced whenever you feel like it just because. And he's saying as a, as a disciple, you, you should really, really, really have a strong thought behind it. But then he throws a wrench in verse 12 through 16. He says, so, but if you find yourself married to an unbeliever, 
If you find yourself, the, the phrase here is someone who has abandoned the faith or hasn't even gotten in in the first place, then you've got some options. You can view that marriage as sanctifying and try to win over your spouse, or if they choose to leave it, let them walk and go ahead and move forward with it. And it's this idea of, of abandonment that we'll circle back to later about what it actually, I believe, it means. And the question for me is, why does Paul emphasize the non-believer abandoning the marriage, but not the Christian who desires to abandon it? You see, our culture might have preferred to see that verse that says, Christian or not, church attender or not, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you believe in Buddha, it doesn't matter if you see a reason in which you are no longer happy, no longer fit, no longer want to be committed, then by all means, just file and leave. And what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to say, remember your foundation as a follower of Jesus. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple, remember your foundational tenets of life are things like reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, love, servitude, but also a changed way of living. Imagine, uh, if you would for a moment, that there was a, a, a branch and, and a, a caterpillar and a butterfly were sitting next to each other. And the, and the caterpillar looks at the butterfly and says, yo, what happened to you? And the butterfly looks at the caterpillar and says, bro, I, I used to be just like you. Well, what happened? Well, man, let me tell you about the days of being a caterpillar. You could eat whatever you want. You could sleep wherever you wanted. It was fantastic. Man, I used to find the best branches and the, mm, nom, 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 and the best taste in leaves. It was awesome. But you have wings now. What's it like to fly? And he just says, I don't know. I haven't left this branch. Wait, wait, hold up. You used to be like me. Kind of a pudgy little slob that me, me. All we could do is inch around, hoping to find the best piece of grass. And now you have wings and you can fly off. You can explore wherever you want. And you haven't left? Yeah, but just think about who I used to be and who I am now. You see, I think we have this thing in, in American Christianity sometimes where, where we like to talk about the power of grace. We like to talk about the transformation. We're new beings in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have been received, we have been renewed, we have been given new hearts and minds and way of life. And yet we don't actually live any different. We don't actually change who we, from who we used to. To be. We celebrate being transformed people, but never actually live different than before. You see, Paul is writing with the assumption that if you are a disciple, you, you know and you ought to be living differently than the unbelieving people in your life. So your purpose, your sexuality, your money, and yes, even your relationships are done differently because we are different than the world around us. And what Paul's actually doing here is he's not saying this is the only reason or cause. He actually is, is clarifying a little bit more through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' teaching on divorce. If you turn to Matthew chapter 5, you'll see Jesus' teaching on divorce. You can also go to Matthew chapter 19. There's another passage of there. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And with the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' kind of moral ethic for all humanity of what the kingdom of God ought to look like. We as Christians, and he throws this one in in which he says, it has been said 
that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And some of us are like, yep, that's legal. That's what you got to do. Write the paper, send them on the way. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and he follows it up by saying, makes her the victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says, if you want to know what marriage is supposed to look like and when divorce is permissible, this is one of Jesus' keynote teachings. Two verses, 50-something words. He puts it out there. He's saying, you are to remain in that covenant unless there is sexual immorality among you. But he starts by saying, you have heard it said. And that goes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So what, what, what Jesus is saying is, you've heard it said. They've written in the law way back when. You guys know the rule. Uh, you know, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years ago. Uh, the rule was that if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, which all the men in the room said, okay, next. <laughs> because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And so th- what was happening is in the culture of Jesus is they were having arguments about what this phrase meant, this idea of something indecent. And there was kind of two schools of thought. The one school of thought was the, the Shammai rabbis in which they said this thing, something indecent, only refers to sexual abandonment. Somebody who has had sex with somebody who's not their spouse after the, the, the covenant of marriage, that is your grounds for divorce. That's it, that's it only. The second one is the Hillel school of thought. And they said this idea, this idea of something indecent can pretty much mean whatever you see fit. Whatever you want it to be, as long as it had some sort of reason, you could label it as something indecent, fill out the papers, and send her on her way. Does not our society kind of operate with that second mentality? That if you want a reason to separate from somebody, you just have to tell your, find something, something indecent about them. Uh, I did some research and, and, and some divorce lawyers shared some of the most outrageous reasons that people filed for divor- divorce. One guy uh, said on his divorce filing that she used too much toilet paper and I'm not made of money. The second uh, one of them said that she asked me how I take my coffee in the morning for seven years. This was this one, this next one, again, I just, it's a thing said, why do you want a divorce from your spouse? And he said, she refused to shower for eight weeks. That was nasty, <laughs> okay? <laughs> now, the most common thing you'll see cited on a divorce filing is a phrase or a term called a, what falls under the category of lack of commitment. They feel there's no longer a lack of commitment from the other partner to me. And that's things, then they clarify, well, I never feel romantic towards him anymore. I'm unwilling to work on my marriage anymore. They've changed. Jesus said, you've heard it said. If you find something indecent, if you find any reason that you can justify, go ahead, write the paper, send them all away. And in that time, let me also remind you that men could divorce women. Women could not divorce from men. So they were kind of stuck in this moment. And Jesus says, so if you want a reason, let me define what this means here for you. Because everyone in the Corinthian society is like, yep, something that he, he let himself go. Man, he used to have four abs. It was never six, but he had four. And now he's got a refrigerator around his keg type of situation. You know what I mean? Man, she just nags and nags and nags and 
you wouldn't believe how loud he snores. It would drive any sane person absolutely crazy. And my response to that is just like, dude, out of all the fish in the sea, you chose them. (laughs) You should have done your homework better. You should have maybe asked some more questions going into it. But Jesus is basically saying this idea of what is indecent, to give you the reason, he says, let me clarify, he says it's, it's sexual immorality. It's a form of abandonment as it works. That simply divorce over differences doesn't cut it, Jesus says. My wife and I are are very different people. We have a lot of differences. She's short. I'm just not tall, but there's a difference there. (laughs) She's pretty. I'm not. She's caring and enduring and soft-spoken for the most part. I'm not. She's extroverted. Um, spoiler alert for most of you, I'm a very introverted person. Actually, I love people, but like I get home from church on Sundays and like I just, like literally it's like someone just unplugs my battery and I just like zone out for like three hours sometimes. Um, she's very kind and courteous with our kids. I try to be. Uh, she loves to talk. I love to let her talk. We're very different. This one's for free, guys. I figured out at this point in marriage is that, that oftentimes when she wants to talk, it's just not that she has to get a bunch of words out, it's that she wants to connect with you. <laughs> Blew my mind, figured that out like last week. It's crazy. <laughs> We're very different. And if there were things that I wanted to pull on between my way of doing things, my preference, and, and my wife Diana's, then, then that we could find those things. And Jesus is saying differences don't cut it. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says you have sexual immorality over here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, some, some sort of form of, of, of abandonment over here. The question then is, is there another option? And this is where I say up top, this message starts to get difficult. Because I, I, I do believe that there is another option. It's not explicitly stated in black and white, but I do believe it is completely and implicitly implied. And that goes back to that idea of what Paul said in in chapter seven. If you have somebody who is a believer and they have chosen to abandon the covenant, then feel free to move on from that marriage. Now, arguably, the most most famous passage of divorce comes from Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, and it says something along the lines, the translations vary quite a bit, but it basically says that God hates divorce. And if you've had some church hurt in the past of a divorce you have in your history, the chances are that verse was used to weaponize it against you. And I feel, I'm so sorry for that. Just know that that, 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 that was not loving, that was not the way of Christ, that was not the way of Jesus. Now, in the context of Malachi chapter 2, what it was is the diaspora, the Jews who were kicked out, they were returning back to their, their land, their place, and they were bringing back their families and their wives with them, and they got to a new land. And when they got to the new place, they found new ladies. And the ladies were younger. Maybe they were better good looking. Maybe they cooked better soup. I don't know, but they did something that caused the men to just push their current wives away and marry to new ones because simply they wanted it. 
that they weaponize their ability to file for divorce. So, so that's why in Malachi chapter two, the prophet Malachi speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit says, God hates divorce. Why would you do it? You don't just up and leave somebody just because. And I think we could take that and flip it within the, the confines of what is loving and exegetical and say, sometimes people weaponize their marriage. And what I mean by that is people use that verse where you can't leave to treat their spouse very, very, very poorly. To live in habitual patterns of sin and unrepentance. They will not listen. They will not change that abuse becomes present and they weaponize marriage because you can't leave because we're bound together. And that's where I would say, and I have advised, actually, they can. Because you have abandoned the covenant yourself. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to offer gracefully and hopefully truthfully is that if you are in an abusive relationship with your spouse, you can leave. You will not be going against the will and the heart of God because abandonment has been made clear. Abandonment is a functional walking away of choosing not to live in the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus, but also choosing not to live a transformed life. I think that's where passages like Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 18 become very handy. Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom just because he goes to church, just because she clicked that box on her profile that said she was a Christian, don't mean that they are. Be warned. Matthew chapter 18, when a brother or sister sins against you, this is the process you go through. You go one-on-one, one-on-two, one with the multitude elders, and if it persists, then it says you treat them as you would an outsider because they have abandoned their faith. So Jesus says you have sexual immorality. Paul clarifies it and he says if there is an abandonment, so then I would also say then abuse because it is a form of abandonment. What is maybe characterized as abuse? That's unchanging habits or patterns causing hurt in the life of another. Now we need to be very, very careful not to assign that, that moniker lightly. Forgetting to, to call on the way home, like you said you would a couple times, that argument that didn't go well, that once or twice, the constant nagging, those truly one or two or three off rare moments, that's not what we're talking about. What I am talking about is is behavior that is addressed, behavior that is harmful, recurring issues, unchanging, unwilling, unrepentant, no remorse. So what applies? Here's a starting list. I'm not a professional, but here's a a starting list you begin, begin to think about. That abuse could be anything and everything from hitting, punching, shoving, slapping, pushing, breaking of items, Choking, cursing, aggressive belittling, manipulating, isolating, gaslighting, forcing, threatening, controlling, and on and on and on. 
If this is being done to you, or the kids in your home, you can leave. Could very well be what needs to happen in your life. And if any of the things I just said are characteristics of what your spouse might say about you, you need to stop and you need to seek help immediately. We pride ourselves on being a church that is full of love and grace and truth. We work with local counseling companies because we understand that life is messy, that sin gets a hold of our hearts. But do not go another day before you seek the help that you need. Saying you'll change for the 60th time doesn't cut it. Doesn't matter if they're sober or not. But she goes to church. Abuse is never the fruit of a disciple. Jesus said in Matthew, or Mark chapter seven, I believe, he says is that, that out of our heart comes the things that are deep within and especially the sin and the wrongdoing that lies in there. Yeah, but they haven't cheated on anybody. They haven't slept with somebody else. Could be true, but I would say by, by the definitions given to us in scripture in a context, they have abandoned their covenant to love and to cherish and to lift up the other. Let me put it this way. Is that one can abandon their marriage without actually changing their address. And so as we close this section of 1 Corinthians, I begin to wrestle with God, like what, what do we do with this? What's the goal? What's the prayer? What's, what's the outcome? We are people of forgiveness. We're people of grace. We're people of love. We're also peace, people of truth, that you are a God of justice. You are a God who, who wants us to, to live sin, sin behind and, and leave it. Like, what, do we, what do we do with this? Because here's where I struggle like applying this message this morning. If you can just get into my shoes for a second. It's like, I don't know what to say from this point forward. I can't say just like, just go get a divorce. Because, because there are people in our church who I've been constantly talking to for seasons where that is the exact thing that needs to happen. And the opposite is true too. There are people who are maybe walking towards that where it's like, you don't need a divorce. You both just need counseling. You need help. You need to submit. You need to serve. And you need to work towards figuring it out. Uh, uh, you know, reject that way of culture that says if you find something in these, I'm not saying that's not, doesn't mean it's not easy. I'm not saying that's not fun. But you made the covenant to figure it out. And then I have this other thought that says, as I look across this room this morning, is to say, like, I don't know how many people this connects with this morning. I, I just don't know. Some of you are married. Happily. Some of you are single. Some of you are widowed. Some of you are divorced in the past. Some of you are walking towards it. And so just trying to come up with something is just like super, super difficult. And so what I want to close with is I want to close this section of this teaching for something for everybody. So that no matter what you walked into these doors with this morning, whether you find yourself coming up on that, that 40, 50, 60, 70 year anniversary and, and it hasn't been bliss, but it's there. 
You're in college, you're trying to navigate singleness and dating life. You're, you're a young adult, you've got your career and you're trying to figure out who or if that person is or isn't. You might be married, trying to wrestle through things. Hemos says that I want to share two thoughts for everybody this morning and then we're going to end our time, the rest of service with an opportunity. So here's the first thought. Number one is just take ownership of your relationships. Take ownership of your relationships. Now that could mean you need to own up for some stuff. That could mean you need to put on your big boy pants and seek out help and wisdom and guidance from people that are gonna hold you accountable. Taking ownership could also mean, hear me when I say this, is going home and going up to that person and saying this stops, this changes, or else we do. Taking ownership could be all my single people in the room. This is for you. Write this down, memorize it, but right, you can repeat after me is that we don't date to rehabilitate. Okay? Like we don't say, oh, he's cute, she's pretty, not a follower of Jesus. No, remember, you chase after Jesus, and if you find them along the way, awesome. But you don't stop chasing after Jesus to pick up a DIY project to take home with you. Okay? <laughs> We all live in those to begin with. We don't have the time or the money or the band. We don't date to rehabilitate. But you have to take ownership of your relationships. And let me remind you where love grows the most. It's foundational of the gospel of Jesus. That love grows the most in service to another. You might need to take ownership because you need to go home and do what you said you were going to do. You might need to serve your wife. You might need to find ways to serve your husband. You might need to find ways to serve Christ, to serve Jesus, to serve the church, to let love grow. Over the past couple weeks, knowing this message was coming, I've talked to a couple people who have had some pretty big uh, anniversary milestones. Uh, one of them, uh, two of them are in their, into their 20s. One, one of these couples, they're coming up on their 50th uh, wedding anniversary. And I asked them all the same question, what's the secret? And I kid you not, they all said the same exact thing. You ready for this? It's gonna blow your minds. Write this down. Get over yourself. That was it. In 50 years, in 25 years, in 80 years, what's the secret? Get over yourself. You ain't that good. You ain't that great. She ain't, he ain't good grammar, you know, <laughs> get over yourself because love grows in service. And we, we do this thing, we, we treat marriage like Jerry Maguire, right? We get in, we look at the other person, you complete me. It's my best Tom Cruise, that's all you're gonna get. He's shorter than I am. He's like my wife's height, okay? <laughs> and then we get into marriage, we get two years in, five years in, 10 years in, and we're like, oh, it's not Jerry Maguire, it's more like Terminator. Right? It doesn't feel any pity or remorse or fear and absolutely will not stop until you are dead. And we need to learn to take ownership that love grows in service, that we love because he first loved us. The gospel is love expressed through the acts and the service of Jesus. And then we get into these relationships and we just say, but you serve me, but I don't ever have to do anything for you. And then Paul is probably writing and say, you wanna know you have so many problems? It's because you make it about you and not them. My second point is this, 
is what I want to end with. I want to send us into something here as we close out service is that Jesus carries us through our deepest hurt and confusion, especially when hope seems lost. The question is, will you let him? God loves marriage. God loves singleness. God loves sex and sexuality in the confines and the way in which he designed it. God does not like divorce, but he loves those who are. And so whatever pain or hurt or past or story you have or you're navigating, walking through right now, Jesus wants to carry you through that. Will you let him? While divorce might break God's heart, we need to remember that Jesus is still good and faithful. While sexual immorality and ways in which it goes against God's plan and design is confusing at times, Jesus is still good and faithful to walk with you. While various forms of abuse leave deep, deep scars, Jesus is still good and faithful. And while the tension of singleness can sometimes be perplexing, Jesus is still good and faithful. And so whatever your path might be, whatever your plan might be, Jesus unequivocally loves you and wants to walk with you to what? lies ahead. The arms of Jesus are there to carry us as we are, not who we ought to be. We're going to do something a little different as we wrap up service today. Um, we're going to get ready to go to time of communion. And so if you haven't had the chance to grab those elements, you can do so here in just a brief moment. But um, Here's what it's going to look like. A timer is going to come on screen for communion. Remember the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed for us. If you are a believer of Jesus, we invite you to participate in that. During communion and also during the next two songs after communion, uh, I felt compelled to offer something. I was preparing for this, I was praying like, I don't even know what you, like, what do we even do with this? Like, how do we handle it? Like, knowing so many people go just walk we're like, what do we, like, I don't even blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, yeah, you can pray for them. Because we believe in the power of prayer. That, that, that prayer is powerful and is part of the community of Christ. And so during communion and in the next two songs, there's going to be staff and elder and other people spread around the sides and the back of the room. And I want to say wherever you are, if you feel prompted to receive prayer, just go find one of the couples standing around. And whether that's in your singleness, whether that's something you're wrestling with in your sexual identity, whether that's something in your marriage, whether that's something uh, in your divorce, maybe you're, you're post-divorce trying to find wholeness in Christ, whatever it is, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to pray over you as we continue to worship and celebrate Jesus Christ. And so as the timer comes on, those of you who are elders and staff, uh, as soon as that timer goes on, if you could make your way to the side and to the back, uh, I'd appreciate you doing that then. And so I'm going to send us into this time with a quote as we begin to continue to worship. And the quote is this, it's, is, I have never been super fond of the phrase, just as I am. I've seen too many people use that as a means to claim Christ, but not let Christ claim their hearts. That aside, 
If there were ever a just as I am place, a just as I am church, a community where anybody and everyone could bring anything and everything, any pain, any past, any broken promise, any struggle, any tension, just as they are, knowing full well that there might not be an immediate solution, but that all were met with the love, grace, open ears, not side glances or passing judgments, and that no one was turned in a direction other than the arms of Jesus. I bet there would be no room in that place rather quickly.